Good morning. Well, I, I'll share with you what I'm thankful for. One, I'm thankful to be here with you, and I'm thankful that, uh, that you've given me the opportunity um, to get to, to share um, about what God is doing around the world and to get to share from his word. Um, but uh, I'm very thankful. Um, if I was down here, sitting here, um, as a little kid, um, I would say, as an adult, that I'm thankful for the fruit of God's grace. Um, what Jay didn't tell you was, is that when I came to uh, the university that we uh, went to, it was Baylor University, um, I was not a believer. Um, in fact, I was uh, basically an atheist, a practical atheist, and uh, very angry with even the concept of God. And uh, Jay was my resident assistant, and I would go down and at times argue with him um, and, uh, and then I have to come back and apologize to him for not being very kind. Uh, but, uh, but over time, uh, Jay, in sharing Jesus with me, um, the Holy Spirit drew me to trust in the person of Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And then Jay didn't just say, great, now let me move on to the next person. He discipled me. And he taught me the things that had been taught to him so that I could share Jesus with others and see them come to know Jesus and then disciple them so that they could do the same and the same and the same. And so I'm very thankful for the, for the fruit of God's grace um, in my life through Jay because I would not be up here sharing with you what I am sharing with you today if it were not for God's using this man in my life. And I loved what uh, Dr. Easley was praying in the prayer meeting when he, when he talked about uh, the fact that uh, God gave us the opportunity to pretend like we're part of God's work. And, uh, and I love that because the reality is, is God does it all, but, uh, but he, he allows us to pretend to be a part of it. So, uh, so this morning, I'll go ahead and uh, tell you a little bit about myself. Um, my, uh, it's kind of funny that I have a doctor in front of my name because I actually failed second grade. Um, I went through second grade twice, believe it or not, and so uh, Jay and I, he was actually a year ahead of me in college, but we're like the same age. So, uh, so that's just to tell you a little bit about me, that I am educated way beyond my intelligence. So, uh, so you have to, to uh, take it with a grain of salt, what I'm going to share with you this morning. And, uh, and, but I will tell you this, that um, I, I work for an organization called Nexus International. Jay's right, for 20 years I was a pastor. And I loved being a lead pastor, um, but I was on a mission trip uh, with my church, and we went over to a place, um, and there was a forbidden area. And a friend of mine and I decided we were going to cross into that area, and we started talking with people about Jesus. And they had never heard any stories of Jesus. They had never even heard the name of Jesus. And I kept experiencing this, and, and we would share Jesus with them, and knowing that in this country it's against the law um, to talk with people about Jesus and to share your faith and to call them to faith in Christ. But when I came home and I told my wife about what I had experienced, she looked at me and she said, well, you need to do something about that. And I said, what am I going to do about that? I said, <laughs> in case you didn't notice, I've got a wife, and, uh, and she has Crohn's disease. She's almost died three times um, during our marriage. Um, if you went to one of these places, you would die within a week, and then we have four kids. And, uh, and she said, I don't know, but you need to do something about it. And so she started doing research, and we both started praying, and she discovered that there are actually two billion people in the world who are part of unreached people groups and that there are three billion people in the world who've never heard the name of Jesus. I was a pastor for 20 years. I never had any idea that 
the amount of lost people in this world who've never heard the name of Jesus was so significant. So we started praying, and after about a month of not only praying with each other, but praying with our kids, and then praying with the leadership of our church and the elders of our church, we, uh, I gave my two-month resignation, and, uh, and I resigned from being the lead pastor of the church where I was pastoring, and two months later, just kind of stepped off a cliff, if you will, um, trusting in God as a, as a faith missionary. And so uh, it's, uh, it's something where I want to show you a picture of my family. Um, that's my beautiful wife, Rebecca, and those are my four kids. Uh, my daughter's a, a student at CSU, Colorado State University, and uh, she wants to be an elementary school teacher and then eventually a principal, and then I've got triplets. Um, those are actually all born within a two-minute period. That's a whole other story for a whole other time, but, uh, but I love my family, and, uh, and I, some people wonder, well, how do you do what you do? Because I'm, I'm basically gone for three weeks, and I come home for three weeks, and then I'm gone for three weeks, and I come home for three weeks, and believe it or not, it actually works for us, because when I'm home, I get to spend more time than I ever got to spend with my wife and kids when I was a pastor, but when I'm gone, I get to basically be the Apostle Paul and give myself 100% to the work of the Lord. And so uh, I'll tell you a little bit about what I do. Um, if, you, uh, if, if you look at the next verse, you're going to say, you know what, I know that verse, Matthew 28. Jesus said, you know, I want you to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, Jay taught me about that. I had no idea, you know, even after I became a believer that God wanted me to be a part of his work as just a, a believer in making disciples. And so um, I started making disciples when I was in college, and uh, disciples not of me, but of Jesus. And, and it's been one of the greatest joys of my life. And so um, when you look at now what God has called me to do is I still make disciples, but now I make disciples of those who basically make disciples in the most challenging places on earth. Um, I, I disciple indigenous people um, who I see come to know Jesus, and then they come to know Jesus, and then I get to identify if there's ones with a gifting of leadership or pastoral leadership or preaching and teaching and train them, and then they wind up reaching all of the people in their country that, uh, that don't know Jesus and don't speak English. But the interesting thing is, is people always ask this question, how do you talk with them? Well, at this time in history, it wasn't this way even 40 years ago, but at this time in history, pretty much every country's catalytic leaders speak English. I know that sounds so strange, but, uh, but English is the business language of the world, and so people who are catalytic leaders tend to learn English in whatever way that, uh, that they can, um, but I'm looking for people oftentimes, and the Holy Spirit is directing me to people, and, and it's interesting because almost every single one of them in those countries speaks English. And so, but they're the real heroes. They're the ones that are actually putting their life on the line. If I get arrested, which I've been detained twice, and I've had people follow me, I've had been chased by military intelligence, I'm on the watch list of, of a couple of countries, and, uh, and it's something where if I get arrested, I might be in jail for, you know, two years and then get out, and, uh, and, but if they get arrested, um, many of the men that I've discipled have, um, have been beaten for their faith. They've been stoned for their faith. Um, one even had a sword raised to him, and he was threatened um, by his boss that his boss was going to take his head off with a sword. And he said, go ahead, you can do that, but one day you will stand before my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and he will hold you accountable for what you're about to do. And that man just started to tremble. He put down his sword, 
And interestingly enough, three weeks later, he was arrested for business crimes, and now he's serving 30 years in jail. So if you don't think God will take care of you, <laughs> well, <laughs> read Romans 13. But uh, let's look at the next slide. Um, I get to go where others cannot go. Um, that's me right there. And uh, I, I, most of the countries I work in are in the Himalayas. And, uh, and if you show the map, um, the map shows... Uh, uh, several countries right there that are known as the 1040 window. It's the most unreached area um, in, the, uh, in the world. And yet I work right above where it says India. Um, there's a, a few countries and areas up there. Um, I work in uh, predominantly uh, Buddhist, communist, um, Hindu, and then I'm starting to move into in a Muslim area, and that's where, where I work, up in that area, um, right in there. And so uh, I'll tell you a little bit about what I do. Um, if you look at the next fellow, um, his name is Ricken, and uh, he was a guy that I just got to meet um, and got to share Jesus with him. And we got to spend about a week together, and I got to serve him, I got to share, ask him all kinds of questions about himself, and I got to share Jesus with him. And so my goal initially is to reach those who have never heard the name of Jesus. And, and then, once they come to know Jesus, I'll show you the next slide, because this is Sanjay, um, I get to help these new believers to grow in their faith. Now, the interesting thing about Sanjay and the reason why I'm sharing with you these stories, and we're going to get to the Word of God, but, uh, but it's something where I oftentimes, as a pastor, heard missionaries, and they'd come, and they'd never tell any stories of what God had done. Or they would tell stories in the text that really didn't have to do with the text. So, so I'm going to tell you the stories, and I'm, we're going to get into the text. But Sanjay um, was a young man that I met when he was 22 years old. I was sharing Jesus with him, and he got very nervous because in his country, that's against the law. And so he invited me into his home, and he had me sit on the floor um, in his in his concrete floored home and I sat there and while he served me tea he said the reason why I invited you into my home is because this Jesus that you were talking with me about has been coming to me in my dreams and told me that a man would come and tell me more about him you must be that man and so I got to sit with him for three hours and take him through the gospel from Genesis to Revelation and show him the beauty of Jesus and the Holy Spirit drew him to Christ then I got to disciple him, and now all of his friends have heard the gospel, and many of them have come to know Jesus, and he's discipling them. And the process of multiplication goes on and on, just as Jesus told us that it ought to in Matthew chapter 28. And so it's beautiful um, to see uh, what, uh, what God is doing and how passionate he is about those whom he will save. So if you look at the next picture... Um, we see those who come to Christ and we equip them um, for the work of the ministry so they can equip the saints. This right here is Rajesh. Now, Rajesh works in a, in a country. He was not a believer and became a believer. And once he became a believer, I recognized in him just this passion um, for evangelism and also a passion for young people. And so he is now an ambassador of youth ministry in his unreached country. And he has this passion for reaching young people for Christ. Think young life. And he basically, um, he's a guy that I built into. And then to show you the impact, if you look at the next slide, what you see is, is, that, um, is that these guys right here are church planters and youth leaders that I have the privilege to disciple because of Rajesh. 
And Rajesh is working with them and discipling them, but here they're holding up a, a book from the Bible Training Center of Pastors and taking them, I took them through Bible, um, through, uh, Bible study methods and uh, rules of interpretation. It's like a Howard Hendricks class in a, in a book that was put together by a DTS grad. And the beautiful thing is, is these guys right here, um, when I was first discipling them, um, they, we were coming to the end of the book and all of a sudden, believe it or not, we, we finished a half day early after teaching this intensive 40-hour course. And when we finished a half day early, while we were sitting there, I said, let's just have an early lunch and hang out together. And while we were having lunch, the military intelligence came in to arrest us. And they came in to arrest me and arrest them because somehow they found out about this back room that we were meeting in. And it was interesting, but because I was not teaching at the time and eating lunch and they had no evidence, they could not charge me nor charge them. So it just goes to show you again how God is doing what he's doing and how he's protecting us. And so um, the beautiful thing about each of these guys, if you go to the next slide, is that that's the kind of impact that they're having. There's Rajesh, and Rajesh had this passion for kind of doing a camp for kids in his country that had never heard of Jesus, which is all the kids in his country. And so he and his wife sold their wedding rings to pay for 238 kids to come to a camp to hear about Jesus. And so it's so beautiful to see what God is doing in places, it's like the book of Acts, in places where people have never heard the grace of Jesus Christ and not even his name. And when they hear how liberating and how freeing it is to trust in the God who died for their sins and who rose from the dead to give them eternal life. It completely changes them. And they're willing to be, to be even put to death and imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. So to just recap what I do um, before we get into the word, um, on the next slide, you'll see that, uh, that I introduce people to Jesus Christ who've never heard. Um, the Holy Spirit is the one who initiates most of those meetings. Those who come to Christ, I help them grow in their new faith, and then I identify those who are gifted spiritual leaders and equip them to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and, uh, and then we plant churches that are committed to reaching the unreached, and we help these new believers to grow in their, in their new faith with a commitment to passing that faith on to the next generation. Every single one of those churches, they reach older people, younger people, but every single one of them have a core value in their DNA of reaching younger people for Jesus and not just forgetting about the next generation. And so it's really beautiful to see what God is doing um, around the world. But uh, this morning, um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna share with you from Mark chapter 11, what uh, a passage that, uh, that, that I actually teach um, these guys and because and I, I want them to see pictures, uh, concrete examples from the Bible of, of what it means to have faith in Christ and to truly trust in him. And so I'd like to, you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 11. And, and we're gonna be in Mark and we're also gonna be in Jeremiah and then we're gonna go back to Mark. But, uh, but I'd like for us to read Mark chapter 11 verses 12 through 14. And so let me read this to you. If you turn with me to Mark chapter 11 verse 12. Now, in Mark chapter 11, verse 12, it says, On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he, Jesus, was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, 
for it was not the season of figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now, to understand the context of this is to understand that this is a, a week before Jesus will die on the cross. This is to understand that he's just come into Jerusalem and, you know, they said, Hosanna, 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 because they're looking for a political king. And Jesus spends the night in Bethany and on the way back to Jerusalem where he's going to, to cleanse the temple and going to condemn what was going on in the temple, Jesus sees this fig tree off in the distance. And this fig tree has leaves on it. Now to understand, uh, you know, this fig tree, he's seeing these leaves and he's thinking, you know what, I'm hungry. And so Jesus says, let's go get some figs from this fig tree. And so Jesus, with his disciples, they go to this fig tree and when they get to this fig tree, there are no figs on this fig tree. Now, it tells us that it wasn't the season for figs. But Jesus actually curses this fig tree. And he says, may no one, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now, it's interesting because the next day when they go up back, they're going to find this fig tree and it's actually going to be withered. It's actually going to have experienced the curse of Jesus and it is going to, to be basically withered from the roots up. But when I read this text, I think to myself, why would Jesus curse a fig tree for not having figs when it's not the season for figs? Now, we have to understand a little bit about fig trees in order to start to answer this question. Because when Jesus looks at this fig trees, you know, you're like, okay, this seems really unfair, but what we have to understand is, is that there are seasons for figs within, the, within the, the fig trees, you know, producing year. And usually that happens two times per year. But a fig tree usually has figs on it during 10 months of the year whenever it has leaves. And then it loses its leaves and then before it grows back its leaves, it actually produces a flower and then produces a fig. And then once it's producing those figs, then the leaves begin to come in. And so Jesus actually, because it had leaves on it, fully expected this fig tree to have fruit on it. And you know, Jesus would later uh, teach his disciples in John 15 that, uh, that if you abide in me, you'll bear fruit. And yet, this fig tree was actually a picture of a group of people. And very specifically, it was a picture of a group of people known as, what, the Jews. Jesus had many rows Many uh, discussions, if you will, um, with the religious leaders of the day. In fact, they wanted to kill him. And Jesus said, you know what your problem is, is that you're more like whitewashed tombs. You clean the outside of your vessel, but, but inside, inside, you're not clean. You give the appearance of having, of having fruit by the things that you supposedly do, but it's not the kind of fruit that I'm looking for. 
You see, the fig tree was actually a symbol of the nation of Israel. And to understand why Jesus would curse them, we really have to go back to, to another tree in Jeremiah chapter 17. And so if you turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah 17, because in Jeremiah chapter 17, in verses 5 through 8, Judah's in this Babylonian exile, and, and so <laughs> Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, is speaking to them, and he basically is speaking inspired by the Holy Spirit. These words these direct words to this nation. And he says, he says this in, in verse five, he says, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. But then he gives the opposite and he gives a contrast in which he says, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear where heat comes, when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. Now, it's interesting because we're going to look at the second two verses that I just read about the, the man or the woman or the boy or the girl who's blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? Well, it means to have the favor of God upon you. It means that you're approved by God. You have his favor. And so he, he tells us what it means to be blessed by the Lord, to have the favor of the Lord blessed upon us. And he says, blessed is a man God says, who trusts in the Lord. Now, he wants us to get this. God wants us to get this because he actually repeats it. And when God repeats something, he wants us to get what he's trying to say. And so he wanted Judah to get what he was saying. And so he said, he, he not only said it once, he said it twice. He said, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. You see, the man or the woman or the boy or the girl who has the favor of God upon them is that person whose trust is the Lord. Now, we think about trusting in the Lord for our salvation. We think, you know, it is by grace we have been saved through faith. This is not of ourselves. It's not by works so that no man can boast. God wants us to trust in Jesus and his finished work on the cross and in his resurrection and in his, his whole being and his life. He wants us to trust in Jesus in order that we can have the favor of God upon us. He wants us to trust Jesus for our salvation. But did you know that Jesus also wants us to trust him and God the Father and the Holy Spirit also want us to trust Jesus for our sanctification? for being set apart for the works of ministry, in the way that we're conformed into the image of Jesus and the way that we relate with God, God wants us in all things to trust in him, to have him as our trust. 
And he goes on to paint this beautiful picture in which he, which he says he, the person who is blessed, the person who has a favor of the Lord upon him, the person who trusts in the Lord is like a tree. Now with these guys that I disciple, I explain to them that, you know, that, that hey, we're to be like trees. And they think, well, how are we supposed to be like trees? Well, according to this verse, we're to understand that in our day and time, they were supposed to trust in the Lord. They didn't know what we know about Jesus now, but they were looking forward to a coming Messiah. But we've seen that Messiah come and we're waiting for his second coming. But we are to be people as people who are trusting in Jesus for our salvation, for our sanctification, we are to be people who understand these principles, that we are a tree, like a tree planted by water. Now, it's interesting because I love this imagery because it doesn't say that we're supposed to be a group of people who are like trees that plant themselves by water. We don't plant ourselves by water. We are planted by water. So what it's saying here is that somebody else planted this tree by water. And it wasn't us. It was God because we trust in the Lord. He's the one who planted us by water. You say, what water did he plant us by? Well, what's beautiful is, is they wouldn't have probably understood it at the time, but we understand it, that it's the living water of Jesus Christ. And so God's responsibility is to plant us by that water that is Jesus. Now, what is our responsibility? Well, it's beautiful because it talks about our responsibility in the very next phrase in which it says, he is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. So our responsibility, God's responsibility is planting us by that water. Our responsibility is extending our roots into that water that is Jesus deeper and deeper and deeper and to enjoy that water, not just for salvation, <laughs> but for our sanctification, for everyday relationship with God. You know, I love what Jesus says in John 15 where Jesus says, you know, I no longer call you servants. <laughs> I no longer call you just my workers. Do you know what I'm calling you now? John sa or Jesus says to his disciples in John 15, he says, I call you friends. Now, what's the difference between a servant and a friend? Well, the difference between a servant and a friend is, is that a servant is someone, if, if they're your servant, you basically ask them to do something and they do whatever you ask for them. But a friend is someone, when they ask you to do something, they actually do something with you. They're not just telling you what to do. Hey, do this, do that, do this, do that. No, they're like, hey, you want to do this? You want to do that? Let's go do this. Let's do this together. That's what I love about the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 is Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And then you know what he says? And lo, I will be with you until the end of the age. I want to teach the guys that I disciple so that they can teach the, the, <laughs> their wives, their children, and all of the people that they're going to disciple. 
about John 15 and how God wants us to extend our roots into the relationship that is Jesus and to find our water in him and to find in him a friend that is greater than a brother. A friend that actually is with us and a friend that hasn't just asked us to do something but has asked us to do something with him. That concept is absolutely mind-blowing to a, to a Buddhist. That concept is absolutely mind-blowing to a Hindu. That concept is absolutely mind-blowing to a Muslim. Because they, in their concept of their false gods, they have no concept in their religions of what they do like the relationship that we have with Jesus. You see, it's beautiful, and that's why I say thank God for the fruit of his grace, because to understand the privilege that we have to extend our roots deeper and deeper into a relationship with Jesus, not just in what we know, but what we get to experience in that knowledge with Christ as we, as we walk with Christ and as we obey him, is absolutely beautiful. Because it tells us that, that we don't have to fear then when the heat comes for its leaves remain green. I mean, people ask me all the time, they say, don't, aren't you afraid of what you do? Isn't your family afraid of what you do? I mean, you know, like I said, I've been detained twice. I know that I could be killed for my faith and where I'm going and people say, well, that doesn't seem very responsible for your family. And I say, you know what? We're just trusting in the Lord. And it's not me trusting in the Lord. It's my entire family trusting in the Lord because every single one of them knows what can happen to me. However, we also firmly believe that the Lord has numbered each of our days. So if it's not my day to die, guess what? You can't kill me. <laughs> That's for God to decide. But if it is my day, even if I'm hiding in my closet or even if I try to run off like Jonah and try to say, God, I'm not going to do what you've called me to do. God's going to find me. And it's going to be my day. Whether he's going to capture me and say, okay, Craig, no, you're going to do this or and discipline those whom he loves or whether it's my day to die and he's going to take me home to be with him. You see, I don't have to fear and neither do you. God hasn't called you to probably do what I'm doing, Okay. And thank God for that. Because if everyone was as crazy as me, we would just have a really weird society where no one stayed home to be with their families and to, to disciple the churches and to, to, to be a part of the church. It would just be a bunch of Pauls running around. And that's not how God designed it. But I don't have to fear, and neither do you. And if God's called you to Christ, then he's called you to be his minister. He's called you to be a Christian worker. He's called you to do the work of the ministry. And the pastors and the teachers, they're equipping you for the work of the ministry, but you don't have to fear. It's beautiful. It goes on to say that that tree is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. There are going to be moments in your life where you're bearing a lot more fruit than other seasons of your life. 
However, even when you can't see that fruit, you will be bearing that fruit if you are in Christ. But there are times when you're, seriously, if you're anything like me, looking and saying, am I really bearing fruit? I think that all the time. And I'm not talking about what I do. I'm not talking about people coming to Christ. I'm not talking about discipling people. I'm not talking about all that, you know, great ministry stuff. What I'm talking about is, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I'm talking about the times when all of a sudden one of my kids does something and I'm like, hey, stop it. And there's just this impatience that snaps within me. And I'm like, ah. And I go, got to go back and crawl up to my kid and say, I'm so sorry for how impatient I was with you. There are plenty of times when even though I've trusted in the Lord for my salvation, that I have not trusted in the Lord for my sanctification. That I thought, you know what, Jesus, you saved me, I got this. And I've had to fall flat on my face because essentially, you know what, I'm pretty arrogant. I mean, honestly, practically, I'm pretty arrogant. And I can tell you how I know that I'm arrogant because there's lots of things that I do that, you know, I don't say, God, I really am going to need your help to do this. Now, when it comes to the big things, sure, when I'm getting chased by military intelligence in another country, I'm like, Lord, help me because I know I can't do this. But I'm talking about the everyday 99% of life. I'm talking when I'm serving, just doing the things that, you know, I've agreed at my church to do, you know, and say, yeah, I'll, I'll teach that, or yeah, I'll lead that life group, or yeah, I'll, and, and all of a sudden I start to do those things out of my own flesh and out of my own strength rather than out of walking with Christ, trusting in his power, doing it with him. You see, there are plenty of times when I deserve the curse of God upon my life. One of the things that I teach the guys that I disciple is, is that our lives are like trees and our relationship with God is like the roots going into the water. Our trunk is like our community. You know, at the, at the center of that is our family and our relationships. You know, obviously with Christ, but with our wife if we're married or with our, with our kids if we have kids or with our best friends or mom or dad. And the rings kind of go out, you know, our small group, our, our, our ministry, you know, the, our ministry partners, our, our church, you know, is like the bark protecting us. And then you get up into the branches and that's our ministry. That's where we're branching out. And, and people think about, you know, ministry and they think about what they're supposed to do and they get all caught up in serving. And yet they're serving week after week after week doing this, working with kids or working with adults or they're serving, you know, at, uh, at you know, crisis pregnancy center or wherever they're serving and all of a sudden they, they, they go, you know, yeah, I can handle this, God. Don't really need you. They don't say that, but that's what we do. We trust in ourselves. And that's a dangerous place to be because the Bible says, in the first two verses, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Now, when I read that, it kind of makes me a little bit nervous because I think, 
I think, wow, if, if the man who trusts in himself is cursed by God, how many times do I trust in God? Sure, I'm trusting in Jesus for my salvation, but am I trusting in Jesus for all of life? And the truth is, is that many times I don't. And that's scary to me. But I told you at the beginning of this message that the thing that I'm thankful for is the fruit of God's grace. You see, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22 through 23, there's this Old Testament law that says, if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death, you hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him in the same day for a hanged man is cursed by God. And you think, hmm, what's that all about? Well, ultimately we know what it's all about. It's about Jesus. Because we know from Galatians 3, 13, that the scripture says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now, when you think about this, the reality is, is that, you know, cursed is the man or the woman or the boy or the girl who trusts in himself, but blessed is the man or the woman or the boy or the girl who, whose trust is the Lord. But how many times do we not trust in the Lord? And yet, here's what's beautiful if you've been planted by that stream of water that is Jesus is even in the moments when you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus has done for you what you didn't deserve what I didn't deserve you know it's interesting because part of extending your roots into the into the Lord is is coming to his word every day and listening to what he has to say and then praying and and talking with God and asking him to guide us, to, to, to see him and see his will and follow in the, foots of the footsteps of the Spirit of God. And yet, how many days don't I do that? How many days do I get too busy doing things for God that all of a sudden I'm like, hey God, I gotta do this. And I'm not relying upon the Lord. And yet, <laughs> the reason why I don't obey God is because I'm trusting in myself. And you think, wow, you're cursed. Well, no, I'm not cursed because of the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ because I've been planted by that stream of living water and it had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with him. And even on the days that I don't extend my roots to take a, a sip of water to quench the thirst that needs to be quenched in Jesus every single day, even in those moments, the truth is, is that Jesus not only died a substitutionary death for me when he died on the cross, but he also lived a substitutionary life for me. You see, Jesus always said yes to God and said no to sin, and I don't always do that. And Jesus, when it was very early in the morning, he went off even when he was busy to a solitary place where he talked with his heavenly father and where he listened to his heavenly father. And when he did that, he did that because, one, he enjoyed being with his heavenly father and he relied upon his heavenly father, but he also did that in my place. You see, Jesus lived the perfect life that I could never live. 
And he died the death that I deserve. And so what's beautiful is, is that when I have those days or weeks where all of a sudden I'm so busy doing things for the Lord that I'm not doing things with the Lord, and, and, it, and it comes to my attention and I'm like, oh, wow, look at my life. I'm trusting in myself rather than trusting in God, rather than being like Adam and Eve who had to go hide in the bushes and try to think that they could hide from God and keep something from God, or they felt so ashamed that they said, you know what, we're naked, you know, we, uh, we don't want you to see us. Instead, I can just recognize my sin, and I can run to him, because Jesus has already done for me everything. When I was justified by the grace of God and declared righteous before him, it was, it was not only just as if It was not only just as if uh, I never sinned, but it was also just as if I've always obeyed. That's my standing before God and my position before God. So even though that's not my practical reality, when I'm standing before God, instead of God looking at my sin, he's looking at his perfect son, Jesus And so when I realize that I'm not trusting in God, when I'm serving him, but I'm not serving with him, when I'm I'm maybe sinning and I'm not doing what he's asked me to do and I'm saying no to God and yes to sin, guess what? In those moments when I recognize that rather than trying to hide from God, I can come back to the loving arms of God, to the grace of God, because Jesus has done for me everything. In that moment of my realization of my sin is probably one of the, is, is each time one of the greatest moments in which I can actually have that opportunity to be that man whose trust, who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord rather than entrusting in myself. You see, I want you to think about a teeter-totter because, you know, or a seesaw. We had a bunch of kids right here, and kids love seesaws. I don't know if they still are legal or not because I think kids get crushed underneath them. But I remember when I was a kid getting crushed underneath these seesaw, but I think it's a good metaphor, a good concrete word picture, is that, is that there were times when I would be lighter than the person who was on the other side, and that person would just go whoop to the ground, and I would go whoop up above, and we would just sit there. And then there were times when we were more evenly weighted and we were kind of like this. And the problem is, is that a lot of us think that, you know, we have a, a light view of sin. And we think that, you know, well, you know, God does this, we do that, I can handle this on my own. But the reality is, is the more weighty you understand that your sin is and that my sin is, the more that it actually descends the other side of the teeter totter and actually elevates the forgiveness of God. I am so thankful for the fruit of God's grace because I am such a huge sinner. I failed so many times. And you might look at me and say, wow, you're over there in the Himalayas. Big deal. <laughs> God doesn't care, you know, that he's no different between what you do and what I do. We just got to do what God calls us to do, but we don't just do what God calls us to do. We do what God calls us to do with Jesus. And when we're not doing it with Jesus, when we're not trusting in him, we need to repent. You see, if we go back to that Mark 11, just to close this message, if we go back to that Mark chapter 11, and we see the second half of the story after he condemns the temple and shows why he has the the power to do that, it tells us in verse 20 that as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree 
withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And listen to how Jesus answers them. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. That's a big picture of this message. That's the big idea, is have faith in God. Trust in him. Even when you recognize how weighty your sin is, that's a perfect opportunity to trust in him. Even when you look at your life and you say, man, I'm doing a lot of things for Jesus, but I'm not doing a lot of things with Jesus and I'm not enjoying listening to him and I'm not enjoying talking to him and I'm not enjoying walking with him, don't go hide in the bushes. Have faith in God. Don't be like that fig tree that says, you know what, I'm just gonna trust in myself. But rather be the tree that you are in Jesus, planted by that living water, extending your roots into him.